who is Jesus? And I was, I was thinking back over lessons and sermons I've heard over the years, and it has been quite some time, well over 10 to 15 years since the last time I heard a lesson. Look more, who is Jesus? But as we get out into the community more, and we are sowing the seed on all sorts of ground, this is a question that some may not even know where to start. We look at a world and a society where so many have been brought up in an evolutionary or atheistic lens, or maybe they don't even spend much time at all in their Bible. This is a great place to start a journey with someone, to show them and to explain to them who is Jesus. So tonight we're going to look at this from two different uh, perspectives. The first is we have to uh, present a case and demonstrate that Jesus actually existed. He was a man that was on this earth. And then second, once we do that, we need to then show that Jesus is the Son of God, that He was deity. Now, we would mo most of us here would say, well, we have the answer to who Jesus is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the epistles of Paul, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon spend a great deal of time centering and focus of their message on the personality and the teachings of Jesus. In these books of the Bibles, we learn substantial and significant de details of Jesus while on earth. And there's no doubt, there's no question as we read through these books in the New Testament scriptures that Jesus was heard and seen by many throughout the land of Judea. But there are some that would claim you can't use the New Testament as you begin to start a conversation with someone. For they may have an argument that sounds something like this. Well, the Bible has a bias to support and document this life of this man, Jesus. Well, if they have that argument, then for us, we should be able to use a similar argument. Well, you have a bias of Jesus not existing and being in this earth, so we need to throw out your writings as well. What, must, what is good for them must be good for us. Furthermore, it's an opportunity to demonstrate, and not for the focus of tonight's class, but to demonstrate that the Bible is a valid reference to look at the life of Jesus. And there are many ways we can do that, and because of time tonight, we're not going to dive into that. But there is multiple sayings and statements that we can go to in addition to showing how the Bible is the most um, referenced and the more copies than any other book by far that we accept as legitimate. I came across uh, this gentleman, an archaeologist, Nelson Gluick, who once stated, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a Bible, biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact de detail historical statements in the Bible. 
However, if we didn't have the Bible, we could still demonstrate that Jesus was a person that lived here on earth. So first we're going to start with a few pagan sources. First, we're looking at Thallus, a Samaritan historian, circa 52 AD. He wrote, attempting to give natural explanations for the darkness which occurred at the crucifixion of Jesus's, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. In his writings, he does not deny the existence of Jesus. He is only trying to scientifically explain what occurred that day. We can continue to go to about circa 73 AD, and there's a letter of Marabar Serapion. He was a Syriac Stoic philosopher, and he was writing this letter to his son. And in that letter, he writes, What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? Nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on in the teaching which he had given. This individual also writes in the same letter about Socrates and Pythagoras, men that no one denies their existence. And while he does not specifically state the name of Jesus or Christ, it is clear of who he is referencing. We can go to about um, circa 112 A.D., where we have a Roman historian, Cornelius Tatticus. And he wrote in regards of the originated, of the one who originated Christianity, he wrote, their originator, Christ, has been executed in Tiberius' reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Not only do these words almost mimic exactly what we read in the Bible, he does what we find not only of his work, but most Roman emperors, sorry, I think I went, there we go, sorry, went one too far, um, that the, how they wrote, they would typically reference whom they were referring or an event to an emperor Caesar and also the governor of the time to accurately date that event or that individual they were talking about. We would expect this of a historical writing of a person that was actual factual and real history. Next, we have a Roman emperor, Pliny the Younger, in about AD 112, a governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. He makes a statement and talks about the emperor Trajan, about Christians and their devotion to Christ. We continue on to about AD 120. We have a court official and analyst under Hadrian, uh, Sutinius. He writes, As the Jews were making constant disturbance at the instigation of Caritas, he expelled them from Rome. Well, when we go back to Luke, reference in Acts 18, 1 through 12, 2, we read of this expelling from Rome that actually occurred from scriptures. And it ties with this court official. It reads in Acts 18 verses 1 and 2, 
After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who recently came, come uh, from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. And the sources don't start, stop there, but for time we're going to look at a couple of Jewish sources. The Talmud consists of two separate books dealing with Jewish law, written during the period of about 100 to 500 A.D. It speaks frequently of Jesus of Nazareth, and obviously, as we would expect of Jew writing, post Jesus' crucifixion, it wasn't in friendly terms, but they do, and they never dispute his status as a historic figure or that he was alive. Furthermore, a lot of us know this name, Josephus, he was a Jewish general turned Roman historian. He was born about 37 A.D. He only makes a couple references of Jesus through his writing of the history of the Jews. But one of those examples occurs, and he writes this, and brought before it the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ, whose name was James. There is no historical question from sincere people that would deny that Jesus lived. We've seen multiple people in multiple ways identify that, even atheists. H.D. Wells had no fond things to say of this Jesus. He actually said that Jesus repelled him, and he stated that Jesus was a penniless teacher who wandered about the dusty, sunbit country of Judea, living upon casual gifts of food. And he had this to say of Jesus. One is obliged to say, here was a man. This part of the tale could not have been invented. Another gentleman more recently, Will Durant, ex-professor of philosophy of history at Columbia University. He spent two chapters in the story of civilization depicting Jesus as a historical figure right along the Caesar's of Rome. Lee Strobel is notorious for a recent movie that has been uh, uh, made for his coming to know Jesus. He was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he sought with great vigor to expose his wife's faith in God as superstitious and insane, only to use his investigative skills to look at many of the references that we have made here tonight and many others to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Unfortunately, he never fully uh, studied that topic of coming to God and obeying the gospel. Interestingly enough, the Encyclopedia Britannica uses more than 80,000 words to describe Jesus. This is more than Aristotle Alexandria, Julius Caesar, Buddha, Muhammad, Napoleon, or any other man in the entire um, book set of the, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Now let's think about our calendars. How do we tell time? What do the years 2020, 22, 24 actually reference? Oftentimes, as we saw in many of the references, you will have the two letters A, D. Now, for those that um, 
uh, many have heard that the BC is before Christ and the AD is after death. That is a, a, a way to remember it, but that's not really what those letters mean. AD um, is Latin for Anno Domini. I did not study Latin. Uh, this means in the year of the Lord. So if we stop and think about this, our date-keeping methodology, not just here in America, but around the world, exists, this, exists simply by the fact that Jesus lived. But there is still one last place that a skeptic will go at the, for our first question of who is Jesus and the first part, did Jesus exist? And that is to the fact of the Roman civilization. Here is a version of what is widespread throughout the internet and you may come across. And that is that Rome was one of the most bureaucratic civilizations in history. I guess they have not been to Washington, D.C. recently, but we'll continue forward. The Romans kept records about every detail of life, births, marriages, adoptions, taxes, all the production and legal documents. Along with the Roman legions, the official government records were a means to control the lands and the peoples they conquered. So why is there a total absence of official Roman records concerning Jesus. At the very least, should not there be a record of the trial and the crucifixion? All the historical reference of Jesus are all secular history many decades later. Well, we have demonstrated that through secular history that it isn't that far removed from the first time that we see the reference of Jesus. But this is a broad-stroke comment. And there are many things that have not been observed or seen in the uh, review of Roman recorded history. And to make this point, we can look at a, a, a finding that happened in the 1960s in Caesarea, just north of modern Tel Aviv, that contained a translated inscription. This inscription read, the Tiberium, a temple dedicated to Tiberius, of Caesareans, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has given. Alan Millard, who's a widely known professor of Hebrew and ancient Semitic languages at the University of Liverpool, had this to say about this one uh, um, inscription on a stone found at an amphitheater and this is what he said regarding Pontius Pilate. To his, his extensive research, a known inscription from the lifetime naming Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who ordered the crucifixion of Jesus. What you will never find is a debate or dispute that Pontius Pilate was a governor and the Roman emperor or in the Roman kingdom. Pontius Pilate was also not only in one of the most political hotspots of the empire, that being in Judea, he himself was embroiled in multiple controversies and not, not one single solitary Roman archival document so mentions his name that we have record of. So people can spend a lot of time trying to deny 
and refused that this man, Jesus, lived. But no sensible human being that will be willing to investigate and looks at the facts will come to that conclusion. So did Jesus exist? Yes. He lived on earth. He died during the first century. And Jesus must have done something significant to gain so much notoriety by the historians. But is there more? Unfortunately, we live in a world today that many want to stop here. They want to acknowledge Jesus as a good man, a man that did live, and that's where it ends. Some of you may remember this gentleman's name. Charles Templeton wrote, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. He actually taught along shortly into the 80s. He, he gives it all up. He, he says the Bible's not real. He got this burden off his shoulders and he went away. But he was asked, what about this man, Jesus? And someone who has denounced the faith of Christianity had this to say about Jesus. He was the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsical wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my reading. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. So how can a man have that to say about Jesus who gave up on the Bible? He's not alone. There are many. The Jews still to this day look at Jesus as a good man, a good teacher. They do not see him as the son of God. So that is the second part of our question in understanding who is Jesus. And tonight we'll look at just a few things we could turn to to demonstrate that Jesus was more than just a man. He was deity. He was the son of God. The first could be in fulfilling prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament messianic prophecies. While it is true for most people that upon your death, you can, um, people can remember your life, the details of it, the successes, no one has been chrono chrono chronicled in such great detail over hundreds or even thousands of years before their birth. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, we know that this is after Jesus' death and he has been raised from his grave. There are two men that are walking to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And Jesus joins them at this time. They do not know it's Jesus, but they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Not only are they talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, they're talking about that the grave was empty. And this is what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to them. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter 
into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, himself banded to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus used the prophets himself to foretell about his life that was uh, of the Messiah. And that was a central purpose of these prophecies. Now, time won't um, allow us to look at all 300 references, but here are just a few. And for time's sake this evening, we won't turn to all the scriptures. This will be uploaded to our website. But as you've even seen on the Lord's Supper, how we can talk about everything that happened to Jesus and his crucifixion, just using Old Testament scriptures, that is not the only thing that was prophesied in such great detail. We can see that the Messiah was to be born in a specific location, Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. The Messiah was to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. He was to be a regal monarch of a kingdom that would never end, Psalms 89, 3-4, Isaiah 9, 6-7, Psalms 110, 1. And at the same time, a suffering servant, Isaiah 53. He was to be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41, verse 9, for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11:13. The Lord's ruler would come into Jerusalem riding on the foul of a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. Even though his physical suffering would be severe, his bones would not be broken, Psalm 34, 20. And we can outline the Lord's entire crucifixion, as mentioned a moment ago, by just using and reading Old Testament passages along so many more. And so many people will accept that these writings were well before Jesus was on this earth. Another point that we can go to to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God and deity is the miracles that were performed. Now, these aren't the miracles of Moses, Elijah, or other prophets that were trying to seeking to demonstrate that their message was from God and that they should be listened to with Jesus. No, these miracles were that he was the son of God and that was it and that it was to be expected and the Jews were to look for the Messiah to be able to do these things. One such example is in Isaiah 50, 35, 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the death shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the water shall birth forth in the wilderness and streams in desert. And Jesus' signs were not just over healing the sick and the afflicted, but also showed his superiority over nature. He turned water into grape juice in John 2, 1 through 11, calming the Sea of Galilee during a turbulent storm in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. He demonstrated power over death with the widow of Main's son in Luke chapter 7, verse 14 through 15. Lazarus, after being dead for four days in John 11, 1 through 44. It was actually used of his ability to raise from the dead as proof to John that he was the Messiah in Matthew 11 and verse 5. It was over demons, Luke 11, 14, Matthew 8, 16, Mark 1 through 1, 34, and many other references. 
And in the end, Jesus rose from the dead. This was the climax of all his miracles. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. We see this in Romans 1, 4, and declared to be the Son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John to that day, when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And we know that Jesus did many, many things that we don't have recorded in the Bible. We can see this in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Next, we can look to the observation that Jesus never sinned. The question proposed by Jesus of himself in John 8 verse 46 has never had a person to respond with any evidence of Jesus sinning for over 2,000 years. Jesus asked this question. We read um, in John 8 46, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Now, man cannot make that claim, for we know in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Furthermore, we have two passages that are often referred to when we look at the perfect life of Christ, and the first being in 1 Peter, verse 1 and 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Before we conclude tonight, we're going to look at two more evidences that can be made to demonstrate that not only did Jesus live on this earth, but that he was the Son of God and that he was deity. And that is Jesus accepted worship. Let's look over in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 5, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Do people take what they read in Exodus and implement that into their lives that are holy and righteous and good before God? Countless prophets, disciples, the apostles, and even angels rejected the notion or idea of being worshipped. In Revelation 19 and verse 10, we read, And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not, Jesus, worship some other man? No, worship 
God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In contrast to all these good men, prophets, disciples, apostles, and even angels, Jesus did accept worship. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, we read, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In John chapter 9, verse 38, we read, Then he said, Lord, I believed and worshipped him. This is, in, this is in regards to the blind man whom Jesus healed. Jesus accepted worship. And then lastly, we can look at that being a disciple attracted and, and, and earned persecution, tribulation, and even being killed for the name of Jesus, who you were speaking of and professing. Yet during all of this, we saw throughout the entire New Testament readings, and we have seen for some 2,000 years after, that men and women are willing to stand up and demonstrate their belief in God, regardless of the consequences that may come their way. We'll look at two examples. We'll go to the book of Revelation. The first was at Pergamos. And in Pergamos, in Revelation chapter 2, and verse 13, we read, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. If you remember back to our study of the seven churches, Antipas was an elder there at Pergamos. He was burned alive in a calf made out of bronze. A fire started below it and he locked inside. And yet Jesus is telling that congregation, you have done well to keep the faith. And just a few verses prior to this, we remember the letter to the church of Smyrna. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 9, we read, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In this church, these Christians, they had been driven into poverty for their commitment and dedication to Christ. And we know the story didn't end there with those Christians at Smyrna. Jesus tells them from heaven to stay strong, to remain faithful until the end because the tribulation, the poverty, the persecution, it had not, it had not been completed. There would be more. And yet the church still grew. And yet the church still stands today. So, we win, so when we consider the question, who is Jesus? We've identified not only tonight that Jesus was a real person, but that he was and is the Son of God. Because Jesus fulfilled prophecies. He performed miracles. He never sinned. He accepted worship. 
and his disciples were attracted to follow him regardless of the cost they had to pay. What will we do with the information and the facts given here tonight? What will those who listen to this message on our website insert? And that Jesus is the Son of God. I'd like us to end with the invitation and uh, uh, the, the source of our scripture reading that comes from Jesus. Jesus answered them in John chapter 10 and verse 25. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. In verse 30, I and my Father are one. And in verse 37 through 38, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. May we all be willing to respond to the invitation that Jesus provides. May we give our life to Him and serve in dedication no matter the cost because Jesus lived and Jesus is the Son of God. Please stand as we sing the invitation song.